Amen. Where the people of God are, that is where he is at, and that is where he makes his dwelling place. Amen. I'm really excited about tonight's message. I, I really like how they grouped the Easterners together tonight, but uh, God has a plan. Amen? You know, it's so interesting. How many people were at the graduation last night? Very good. Okay, you can put your hands down. When I was sitting down listening to the graduation and uh, watching all the, the various people come up and just go through this uh, very wonderful procedure, I was reminded when I graduated from Weimar College. And uh, when I graduated from Weimar College, they announced something very similar, which was to be very uh, respectable, or be very respectful and reverent during this time. And sure enough, that was very important. And so what took place was, at Weimar College, they had this graduation, and I was graduating, so I thought to myself, I'll invite my Hindu family to this graduation, and maybe they'll get converted by the graduation speaker. And what happened was, they declined to come. You ever had those kind of situations where you see everybody else's family there, super supportive, and you feel like you are the loneliest person in this entire universe? That's how I felt during my graduation. But you know what's really cool? God brought his own family. You see, I had been working with a black church, and this black church decided to show up uninvited to my graduation. And what took place was, when they started going through the processional, they announced, they're not the processional, they started announcing everybody's name, and sure enough, they had Bob Williams come up to get his degree, and Bob Williams would come up, and you hear this, amen, amen. You know? I don't know if they were doing that. So that's what was taking place, and then they announced Cindy Williams, Cindy Williams, and then they said Anel Kand, and all of a sudden it was like lightning struck, and everybody at Weimar awoke. And I turned and I looked, and I saw all those church members there supporting me. It was so loud it made the teachers tremble. You are not alone, amen? Why don't we begin with a word of prayer? Let's ask Jesus to bless us with his Holy Spirit. Father in heaven, thank you so much again for this time. We pray and ask you would invigorate us. Thank you for the Sabbath. And Lord, right now I think of Paul when he was preaching late, and Eutychus, that young man, was on that uh, housetop, and all of a sudden he fell over. Lord, I pray that no one would fall over today. I pray, Jesus, that the message would be heard, and the words that you have designed to impress upon our hearts, that that experience would take place tonight. Thank you, Jesus. May we leave excited and just wowed by what you can do tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, how many people enjoyed canvassing this summer? Amen. You can put your hands down now. How many people have not canvassed before in their entire life? It means you have not done callporting. All right, my challenge is to you. Next summer, you need to experience that. Amen? Amen. Amen. You know what I was thinking about? I was thinking about how awesome it is to see when one person is changed by ministry and what they can do. Now, I had a youth kid when I first started working at the series church as a pastor. I had a youth kid. He had a very high voice, very squeaky. He was half Thai, half white. His name was Maverick. Now, Maverick, where's Maverick right now? Okay, Maverick, stop hiding. Come here real quickly. Okay. Now, you need to hurry up real quickly, okay? 
So I had this youth kid by the name of Maverick, and he was much shorter than the way he is. And when I first heard his name, I thought, that's a mascot. And so here was Maverick right here, okay? And uh, when I was working as a, an associate pastor at series, I said to, you know, I've got to get at least one person into the canvassing work. I was able to convince one person, and his name was Maverick. Now I thought, praise the Lord. I never forgot when I sent him off. He was just a little bit timid, not knowing what he was going to get himself involved into. But it was powerful to see what God did in his life. And then I thought, wow, I wonder what's going to happen next. And you know what happened next? Next year, the year after this, okay, there were two more kids who were inspired by Maverick. One of whose name is Robbie Backlot and Christy Aguirre. Now, where's Robbie and Christy? Please come up to the front. And you know who was influential in their lives to go canvassing? This guy right here. After one summer. Okay, if you can run up to the front. Okay. Now, it didn't just stop there, okay? Because as Maverick began to share and began to just witness to them, they decide to get into canvassing. Then all of a sudden, I'm hearing, they're going to Seoul's West. And I thought, wow, praise the Lord, right? It didn't just stop. Because from their influence, there was a couple more kids who decided to get involved. One was by the name of Cheyenne, is she here? And Alejandro. Where's Cheyenne Alejandro? Okay, come up to the front. And I was blown away because here they are, they're starting to canvassing. I really thought, okay, I can understand they go canvassing, but I cannot understand they go canvassing. No offense. And so what happened is, all of a sudden I'm hearing they're joining the Seoul's uh, Northwest program, is that what you call it? Praise the Lord, we got two people over there, all right. But it didn't just stop there, because the year after, there was another person who decided to join camp, I was just blown away by this person, his name is Max Magpio. Max, why don't you come up to the front? And after Max, you know who it was? It was a guy by the name of Larry Carter who decided to just start camp, no, that didn't happen. Okay. Okay, now just think about this, okay? I did not tell him to go canvassing. I did not tell her to go canvassing. I did not tell him to go canvassing. I did not tell her to go canvassing. Not him. This guy was the only guy I actually told to do canvassing. Next year, I want to challenge you that you would be able to lead one person to come into the ministry for one summer. Amen? And you might be surprised what takes place. You may go all the way from a Maverick all the way to a Max Magpio. Can you say hallelujah to that? Amen, amen. Oh, yes, and also Cheyenne's little sister, uh, Kaylin, also joined as well. And it's just, it's just awesome. Sorry, I forgot to invite her up to the front. My bad, my bad. So here's the thing. You can go home, kids. And so... I'm just blown away because I see what's happening. I see the fruit of this ministry. And God is using this ministry in a very powerful way. So I really want to challenge you. Make this your challenge. I'm, I'm giving the appeal early, okay? I want to challenge you that you would be praying about somebody who you can invite into the canvassing work. You know what I found out? Even the people who led me to Jesus, they were canvassed by a call porter many years ago. The effects of what takes place when we share the written word, amen? And when the spoken word fails, the written word will prevail, right?
It was so interesting. I was just blown away by the spirit of prophecy. We haven't even gotten to the sermon yet, but let me just tell you something. I'm so blown away by the spirit of prophecy more and more and more. I actually got a picture by one of my friends. He works at a non-denominational mega church, okay? I get this picture, and he's showing me a picture of the pastor's library, and you know what I see in the pastor's library? Spirit of prophecy books lined up there. And at the right time, at that right place, hopefully that pastor's going to read those books and become a seven-day Adventist pastor. Amen? Amen. I never forgot to have this one experience where I was trying to get this guy baptized. He was an older fellow, and I was trying my best, okay? Coming short of just telling him he's going to burn in hell forever and ever. But I was trying my best. I was like, i got to get this guy baptized. Nothing would work. Nothing would work. Day after day, I was pleading with this guy, you got to make a decision for Christ. Nothing would work. And after about a few weeks of not saying anything to him, all of a sudden he calls me. He calls me up and he says, I need to talk to you right now. I said, okay. And he comes in and he says, I want to get baptized. And I said, well, praise the Lord. <laughs> and he, I said, what happened? And he said these words to me. I've been reading that book by Edgar White. And I was like, who? And he's like, that book by Edgar White. And I was like, who? And then he points to this little blue book, and I pull it out, and it was Steps to Christ by Ellen White. And where I could not convince this guy to make a decision to follow Christ, he read this inspired writing, and all of a sudden he was ready to get baptized. Praise the Lord. Where the spoken word fails, the written word will prevail. Can you say hallelujah to that? Praise the Lord. Okay, now we're ready to get into the sermon. All right, we're going to be looking at something very interesting today. I'm going to share with you an experience I had just about two or three days ago. I had this Bible student who came into my office, and he's like, hey, let's study the Bible. I said, okay. And we had not studied the Bible for several weeks. And all of a sudden, as we were beginning talking, I was just trying to say, okay, hey, let's get ready for the prayer and let's jump into the Bible. He said, hey, can I talk to you about something? I said, what? He said these things, just like this, without stopping. He's like, man, the world's coming to an end right now. I said, it is. And he's like, you know, if you take a good look at what's happening with the Ebola virus that's spreading throughout Africa, and then he says these words, and now we're transporting some of the patients here, and he says, it's just a matter of time before this virus spreads all over the United States and kills everybody. So he's telling me this, and before I had a chance to say something, and then he said these words, and take a good look at what's happening in the Midwest right now with the riots that are happening. Society is collapsing before our very eyes. And as he's going through this, all of a sudden he brings one more thing, and he's like, in China, there was a river that turned red blood. It just became blood red. And he's like, this is the biblical plagues, and they're happening to us today. And it was just like one thing after another, one thing after another. And I'm thinking to myself, well, I was going to study with him the story of Zacchaeus. <laughs> and the Lord impressed me at that moment. The Lord impressed me at that very moment. Go to Psalms 91. And you know what I studied with him that day? I studied Psalms 91. And if there ever is a time we need to understand Psalms 91, it is today. Amen. It was so important that Satan had to misuse it. You hear what I just said? It was so important. That psalm is so important 
that Satan had to twist it because in Psalm 91, there is something so powerful for us that we need to understand in times like this. In fact, when you read Great Controversy in the chapter about the time of the trouble, there is a large portion of Psalm 91 in that very chapter. And if there ever is a time we need to understand the Word of God and especially relevant passages, it is that, it is that Psalm. So let's go to Psalms 91. Are we all there? Amen. We're going to Psalms 91. Psalms 91. What's so interesting about this psalm, I was looking at what some biblical commentators were saying, that this psalm was written for people who travel a lot. People who were on long journeys. Many biblical commentators believe that it was Moses who actually wrote Psalm 91. Okay? So let's take a good look at Psalm 91. Let's start with verse 1. He who dwells in the what? Secret place. Let's say that one more time. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the what? Shadow of the Almighty. Verse 2. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress. My God in Him I will trust. Now watch verses 3 to 6 because it's very interesting. Surely He will deliver you, bless you, surely He will deliver you from the snare of the fowler. The snare of the fowler. And from the perilous pestilence, he will cover you with his feathers. And under his wings you shall take refuge. His truth shall be your shield and your buckler. You shall not be afraid of the terror by night. By the way, that word terror appears in the book of Job more than any other book of the Bible. So you can imagine what's happening right here. Thank you very much. Oh, that's so much better. So much better. Terror by night. Then watch what else the psalmist says next. It's very interesting. Nor of the arrow that flies by the day, nor of the pestilence that walks in the darkness, nor of the destruction that lays waste at noonday. Here this psalm is offering the protection of God. Things like arrows flying by, things of pest like pestilences and plagues, and all sorts of wickedness and dangerous things that are surrounding the believer of God. And God here is offering protection. And you know what's so interesting? As you're reading this, it sounds like this person who's writing this psalm is in the middle of a war zone. He's in the middle of a battlefield. A world that seems so broken and fractured. And let me just say this, the last few days, now I read news articles, and I don't just read one particular kind of news agency website because it's very biased, very skewed, so I try to read a, a lot of them. I try to get a, a various pers perspective, a nice spectrum of news articles. And just in the last few days, I have been overwhelmed by how bad this world is really getting. I mean, it is very, very bad. The situation is very alarming. Something is seriously wrong with our planet today. And God is calling his people to wake up and just to start watching to see what is taking place before our very eyes, because time is short. Can you say amen to that? And if there ever is a time for us to go forward in diligence and determination to take this ministry to the entire world, it is now. And I was really praying today. I said, God, give me a message to stir hearts, to revive us in the work of evangelism, because it's extremely important right now. You take a good look at the world. It is broken. We have a very, we live in a fractured creation. And oftentimes we're looking at this world and we're thinking to ourselves, how did it get so bad? In fact, if people from 30 years ago lived today, they would be blown away. 
I'm 35 years old and I'm blown away. We are the generation that is seeing Revelation 13 taking place right before our very eyes. God is calling us to wake up, to start opening our eyes to see what's happening. Prophecy is being fulfilled, ladies and gentlemen. He does not want his people to be desensitized by just things taking place and discouraged to the place where you just give up and pretend like it's not there. God is wanting his children to watch and to be faithful. You know, people ask the question, the number one question asked to Christian apologists is this question. Here it is. The number one question of all time asked of Christian apologists is this. If God is so good, why is the world so bad? In fact, I was actually having um, some Indian food with an atheist, a, a philosophy student. He was working on his graduate degree. We got Indian food because I like to work him up a little bit with some curry. Anyways, so while we were there, he's very adamant to me about not believing in God, not following the Bible, all these things. He's very adamant, hey, I do not need to believe in God to have a good life. And I said, maybe. And then he said these words, and he said, if God was really good, tell me, where did all this suffering come from? And I just wish I had a great controversy right there to give him, but I didn't that day. And then I said, let me ask you a question. He said, yeah. If you were God, how would you stop suffering? And I forgot his response. He looked down at the curry, looked back at me, and he was just staring, and he said, you know, I don't know. And I said, brother, if you don't believe in God, you're in bigger trouble. And it was so interesting, that conversation that we had. Ladies and gentlemen, I want you to understand something about this world that we need to understand. If you take a good look at the parable where Jesus describes the man who was, he planted a bunch of stuff, and in the, in the morning he woke up with all his servants and they were surprised how bad the field was. There's a very interesting truth that we need to understand. When the gatherers were ready to chop off the, to take out the, the bad stuff out of that field, the, the, the farmer said, hold on just a second. Hold on just a second. And then they posed him with a question. They said these two words. Are you not essentially a good farmer? And then they asked the second question. How did it become this bad? Now take a good look, good look at the questions they're asking. They said, aren't you supposed to be good? The second question is, why is the world so bad? They're essentially posing the question that the people of the world are, is, question, is, is bringing up. But there's something we need to understand about evil. Something extremely important. It goes beyond to just dealing with angels here. We are dealing with complicated principles. And this is where people just, they do not understand what is taking place with this world. And why God is delaying in so many ways. If God does not allow evil to reach maturation, to reach fruition, it will reappear. You hear what I just said? Unless he allows evil to fully ripen, it will reappear. Now I posed a question to a young adult, and I'm going to pose the same question to you. I said to them, I said, if you were God, and you could stop all evil, you could stop all the atrocities and tragedies in our world today, at this very moment, you could stop it by a push of a button. 
knowing full well, two million years from now, it would start again. Would you do it? And she looked at me very puzzled. And then I said, let me ask you another question. I said, the other perspective is, can you imagine how difficult it is for God to allow evil to seemingly win for a shorter period of time to prevent it ever happening again? I said, which one of those situations would you choose? Would you choose to end evil at this very moment, knowing it's going to arise again two million years from now? And let me tell you this, the second time evil would arise, it'd be far more worse. It'd be far more dangerous. Would you allow it to fully ripen, to reach a point of maturation, to prevent it from ever happening again? Or would you stop at this very moment, knowing full well it would reappear? This is the dynamic God is dealing with. He has to simply allow evil to seemingly be victorious so that it is eternally defeated. You hear what I just said? He has to seemingly allow evil to be victorious for a short while so that it is eternally defeated. The universe needs to see the full fruits of evil, of sin. You know, at the cross of Calvary, what's so beautiful, it seemed like evil was victorious. God allowed Satan to be seemingly victorious for a short time. But guess what? That short victory only led to his eternal destruction. And the seemingly defeat of God at the cross led to the eternal preservation of good. These are the dynamics God is dealing with. This is the dilemma God is dealing with. And so when you're taking a good look at Psalm 91 and you're seeing all these tragedies, all these atrocities, all the wicked and evil things that are happening before us, I want to tell you something. It's going to get worse. It's going to get worse. But God wants us to understand this psalm because in this psalm, we will find protection. We will find the beauty. We will be given for the times that are far, that are just ahead of us. And that's why we need to study this psalm. Let's go back to Psalm 91. Psalm 91. Let's go to verse 7. A thousand shall fall at your side and ten thousand at your right side, but it shall not come near to you. Only with your eyes will you look and see the reward of the wicked. Now watch verse 9. Because you have made the Lord, who is my refuge, even the Most High, your what? Dwelling place. No evil shall befall you, nor, nor shall any plague come near your dwelling. Now verse 11 is key. For he shall give his angels charge over you, to keep you in all your what? Ways. Lest you dash your foot against the stone. Now what's so interesting about this short passage, this is where it starts getting even more deeper right here. What you are actually looking at is the eternal word of God. And what you are seeing here is a legal kind of agreement. A what? A legal kind of agreement. In other words, how to understand the dynamics of spiritual territory. In fact, Satan knew this so well that he actually took this legal document, Psalms 91, and he manipulated it in such a way so that he could violate that territory. And that's why when he was trying to tempt Jesus, he only, only quoted partially that, uh, that passage so that he could get Jesus to do something he was not supposed to do. It's interesting, it says, he shall give his angels charge over you. You know we've been told in the spirit of prophecy 
If there ever is a time for us to understand the ministry of angels, it is now. Now, how many people had a wonderful time with the angels this summer? Oh, you should have all raised your hand. If you believe the ministry was from God, then you know angels were your companions. You know, I love angel stories. When I first became a Seventh-day Adventist, I was like, angels are real? Yes. In fact, the, the person studying the Bible with me was like, they are so real, they are in your life every single day. I was like, really? And in my mind, I was picturing these chubby little babies who were shooting with bow and arrows. And they were trying to shoot arrows at me, and all I could think about was Valentine's Day, and I was thinking, man, they do a lot of crazy work at Valentine's Day. But he says, no, angels are not like that. They excel in strength. They're powerful. They're beautiful. You know what's so interesting about the ministry of angels? When you take a good look at the life of Christ, angels expose themselves to Jesus two times. Did you know that? The first time, when you read the end of his temptation, 40 years, it says angels came and ministered to him. The second time angels revealed themselves or exposed themselves to Jesus was when? When he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, which tells you something about these angels. They revealed themselves at the time of Christ's greatest weakness. You know, when you read the book of Daniel, what's amazing about angels is when you read the book of Daniel, Daniel starts off, he sees that, you know, that dream he has with Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar is always trying to kill people. Chapter 1, he's trying to kill people. You don't eat the, my diet, you're going to kill you. Chapter 2, kill all the wise men. Chapter 3, kill everybody. He's always trying to kill everybody. But in Daniel chapter 2, what happens is, Daniel's giving a night vision of Nebuchadnezzar's dream, and he sees the transition, now pay attention, general transition of the four nations, then the end of time. But then in Daniel chapter 7 and 8, he then sees, in prophecy, more detail, the people who would be involved in the transition of those nations. But it doesn't just stop there. You see, in Daniel chapter 7 and 8, he's given notice about people like Cyrus, people like Alexander the Great, the individuals that would be involved. God gives him detail, but then it doesn't just stop there. In Daniel chapter 9, Daniel finds out angels are involved in the transition of the nations. He finds out about Gabriel, who was strengthening the king Darius. He finds out about the prince of Persia and how they withheld him. And what Daniel begins to get insight about, that it is not man that is turning this world, it is God Almighty. In fact, what is so interesting, when you see all, when you take a good look at the Ark of the Covenant, you know I have a good friend, his name is Ivor Myers. All he does is preach about the sanctuary. I like the sanctuary, but he preaches about it every single place he goes. Sanctuary this, sanctuary that, sanctuary this. I made fun of him one time. But the sanctuary is such a beautiful truth. You know why? When you actually go into the most holy place, you know what you see on the Ark of the Covenant? We see angels, but people miss this point. The Bible says that the angels are actually looking down. Why? What are they looking at? Well, they're looking at the mercy seat that's covering the Ten Commandments. God intentionally had that built for Israel's education because he was trying to communicate something to them about the ministry of angels, that they're curious about the gospel. And that's why when they go into this beautiful educational school known as the sanctuary, they would go there and they would begin to understand. And then they would recall the angels, the statues of the angels on top of that ark. They're looking down because he was trying to show their focus. God was revealing things. In fact, when you read Genesis chapter 24, you find out angels were involved in the marriage of Isaac and Rebekah. Some of you have been praying the wrong prayer. 
Amen? Angels involved in so many kinds of ministry. And God has sent them to assist us. And the reason why we need to understand their ministries is because especially in these end times do we need to understand how to cooperate with them. Amen? You know, I love hearing people share angel stories, and they're so powerful. I'm like, man, I want to see an angel like that. But you know what's so amazing? God reminds me, Anel, angels are always with you. Amen? Angels are always with you. In fact, one day I picked up this homeless guy, and I was thinking, what if this guy's an angel? And I kept thinking about the canvassers, and I kept thinking about, you know, when they fail to ask questions to the angels. And so I was there, and I was like, so where are you from? What's your name? Your real name. I forgot one time I, I dropped this guy off, and I kept looking at my rearview mirror to see if he'd disappear. But angels are our companions, amen? And they're with us. And this is why it's extremely important to understand Psalm 91, because what you find out is a detailed dynamic of how they work. And like I said, this is a kind of document that Satan actually mishandled to Jesus intentionally because it had to do with territories. With what? Territories. Let's take a good look at that verse again. Psalm 91. Look at verse 11. For he shall give his angels what? charge over you to keep you in all your ways. In their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against the stone. Now watch verse 13. And Satan intentionally did not quote this part. You shall tread upon the lion and the what? Both symbols of Satan. Take a look. The young lion and the serpent you shall trample underfoot, alluding to Genesis 3 verse 15. Ladies and gentlemen, I want you guys to understand something. Satan was very particular in quoting these verses to Jesus, but intentionally leaving out things that would threaten him. And mark my words, what I'm about to say, with, to say to you right now. Satan always tampers with that which threatens him. You hear what I just said? Satan always tampers with that which threatens him. And so with all these false teachings that are sometimes at the periphery of our churches and all over the world, you see them sometimes come in. Do not be alarmed and do not be threatened. Know that Satan is just trying to mess with something because it threatens him. It threatens him. It threatens his life. It threatens his ministry. And so he is very determined to see we don't understand the ministry of Jesus Christ in the heavenly sanctuary. He is determined to understand that we don't understand the divinity of Christ, the power of Christ. Jesus wants us to understand that in his word, there is a revelation of who he really is. And this is why we need to understand Psalm 91. Let's keep going. Psalm 91. Verse 14. Now what's amazing about Psalm 91, verse 14, is now you see just sort of the author writing about what God will do for you, but the last few verses of Psalm 91 is actually God's response to the believer. Look what he says. Because he has set his love upon me, therefore I will deliver him. I will set him on high because he has known my name. You see, God promising something to the believer who trusts in him. 
you know, when I went to India, pause, more positive experience than that last brother, but I went to India, and I was, went to do a week of prayer at this school. Now, this is a, an Adventist school, and they're located near the heart of Hinduism. So you can imagine the controversies that they have. It's interesting that this school, when I went there to do a week of prayer, I had to even deal with the demon possession a few years ago. Some of the canvassers went with me on that trip. But what's interesting was this. The principal, the president, told me an interesting story that took place when they were establishing that school and making it more prominent. God was blessing that school. Here you even had Hindus and Muslims that were paying full price to come to this school. What was so amazing that this school was so successful, they actually supported the churches, not the other way around. What was interesting was this. He told me that one day the villagers came by to burn the school down. Indian people. So, you know, they, they had these, they had these actually like these torches one night, and they were at the gate ready to burn the school down. And so there they were, and they demanded to speak to the president, and they said, we heard you're proselytizing our children. And he says, I am not. We are not forcing Christianity upon any person. He says, yeah, prove it. So they bring out some of the kids, and the kids testify, yeah, we're not being forced to do any of this stuff. And it was just a, a wonderful testimony. What was interesting was, the next day, one of the teachers of the school, Christian teachers of that school, Adventist, he goes into town and he comes across one of the villagers in town. And the villager said, hey, you work at that school. He's like, yes. He's like, you remember when we went there last night? He's like, yes. He's like, let me tell you what happened when we left. We decided we were going to come back a few hours later from the back where there was an open field and burn the school down. And the teacher's like, oh my goodness. And the guy said, so we did that. We came around the back, and he says, when we got to the back, all of a sudden, he says, we saw these men, really, really big men. He used the word tukala, which means strong. They were dressed in military uniform, and they were six feet apart from each other. They were perfectly straight, and they were standing like this, all the way around the back of the school. Okay, now hold on. The, the man was like, where did you get that army? And the teacher recognizing, hey, we, we don't have that kind of stuff. He then realized what took place and he said, oh yeah, we have that army. <laughs> and then he said these words, and we can call on them any moment and they will show up at a blink of an eye. <laughs> Amen? And it was just really powerful to see that because that school had made the, that place a dwelling place for the Lord, that angels could dwell there and they could defend that school so they could be a powerful witness. Amen. That's why the Bible says, because he has set his love upon me, I shall deliver him. God wants us to recognize as the world gets increasingly worse, it is not doomsday bunkers that are going to save us. Amen. It is not bulletproof vests that are going to save us. It is not vaccines that are going to fully save us. Talk to your doctor first before you understand that. Well, anyways, it is not these things that are going to save us from the world. Ladies and gentlemen, it is going to be the word of God that is going to protect us. Amen? 
And I really believe like books like The Great Controversy and other books, when we are going through those times, are going to be wonderful guides to help us navigate. Help us navigate through those times and help us to get through to the very end when even the wicked say, who shall stand in this day? And he looks and he sees the righteous. In fact, when you read Revelation chapter 13, it describes a world falling into chaos. Everyone's giving the mark of the beast. They're all like worshiping the beast. But then you read Revelation 14, the very next chapter. You see Revelation 13 seems like the world has fallen into wickedness. You go to Revelation 14, and all of a sudden John's like looking. He's like, oh wait, what about these guys? And you know what they're doing? No fear. They're on a mountaintop with Jesus, worshiping the Lord. The name of God is written on their forehead. And as John is looking at this, he is seeing a people that in the midst of trouble, in the midst of fear, in the midst of danger, they are standing with Jesus. Amen? God wants us to recognize that the power of Psalm 91, the power of Psalm 91, if you want the power contained in that passage, in that verse, the key is the very first two verses. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under his shadow. Close to the tree trunk, you're under its shade. I have made the Lord my refuge and my fortress. Here, this is, we understand, these are the keys to receiving the beautiful protection and the power found in Psalm 91, that if we stay close to Jesus, we are underneath his shadow, under his power, his grace, his territory. Amen? You know, the Bible says something very interesting in Matthew chapter 6, verse 6. It talks about Jesus. He says this, these words. He said, when you want to pray, go into your closet in secret. You know, a lot of people talking about coming out of the closet for this, coming out of the closet for that. Jesus says, get back in the closet and pray. And here you see Jesus saying that the secret place is the place of prayer. The place of prayer. You know what's so beautiful about a personal walk with Jesus? Now I used to think a personal walk with Jesus is simply a label you take trying to show that you are beyond or not dependent upon corporate worship. Yeah, I have a personal walk with Jesus. It means I am a Christian outside of church. But a personal walk with Jesus is something more than that. A personal walk with Jesus is a walk with Jesus when nobody else is looking. A walk with Jesus is when you're still a Christian, still doing Christian things, when you're not surrounded by 30 spiritual kids in a call porter program. A walk with Jesus, a personal walk with Jesus, is when you're able to go to church knowing full well that the pastor is not preaching a good sermon. There should have been more amens for that. God was not, does not want us to be dependent upon the church. He wants us to be part of that church, but he wants us to have an individualized walk with Jesus. That even if we're not surrounded, even if we're not surrounded by all the wonderful things that are conducive to good spirituality, we're still following him. We're still in that secret place. In that secret place. You know what's so interesting in that parable where Jesus was describing the seeds that were sowed, and he's describing the various people who failed. He describes one particular individual who wasn't able to make it. And he says, because they had no root in themselves. You know, it's interesting. You can see this plant, it's fake, I know this. 
It's real. Oh my goodness. Okay, never mind. <laughs> Let, let's get back to the sermon right now. And uh, it, it's a real plant, okay? And it's a beautiful plant. It has beautiful leaves. You can see the stalk. You can see the various parts of that plant. But the one part of the plant that is unseen is its roots. Ladies and gentlemen, the part of your relationship with God is your personal connection to Jesus when nobody else is looking. And that is where you will find the strength for nourishment. That is where you will find your anchor. That is where you will be able to withstand any storm that comes your way. He who makes... He who... What's, what's the pastor say? He who dwells in the secret place. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of his wing. It's called the secret place because nobody else is there but you and the Lord. It's just you and Jesus. And I'm going to challenge you with something right now, something you need to understand, something that's extremely important. God wants us to recognize that when all of this is said and done, when we go back, and we may not be part of that privileged few that are in that school, when we go back, and we're in the same humdrum of life again. Will we dwell, will we abide in that secret place of the Most High? God wants us to establish a relationship with God so tight, so closely, that even if you are abandoned and forsaken by the world, your good friends, your family even, you're still strong. You know, I was thinking about something as I was in the back some of the loneliest people in the Bible were God's greatest followers. People like Jacob, who saw the ladder when he needed it in his time of despair. He was all alone. People like Abraham, who alone heard the voice of God. People like Moses, who was on the mountaintop alone when he said, show me your glory. They dwelt in the secret place between them and God. I don't know what your walk with Jesus has been like. I don't know if you've had a wonderful summer, but it's about to be tested in a whole new way. And God is calling you to make that place, that secret place between you and Jesus, that secret closet, a special place that no power on earth will be able to interrupt, change, or alter your communion, your connection with the Lord. And when you do that, the same response that God gives at the end of Psalm 91 will be given to you. And I'll read it one more time. God responding to the faith of the author. Because he has set his love upon me, therefore I will deliver him. I will set him on high because he has known my name. He shall call upon me and I will answer him. And I will be with him in trouble, even spiritual trouble, amen? I will deliver him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. Perhaps you need to make a commitment to Jesus or a recommitment. I'm going to invite you up to the front. If you're saying, Lord, I want to make my secret place with you so sure, so strong that no power on earth could shake it. I want you to come to the front. If you want to make that commitment today, you say, God, I want to dwell in that secret place with you. 
I want to be with you. I, don't want, you, I want your power and your, your glory to be upon me, to make your face shine upon me. Whether you believe the 144,000 is literal or symbolic, either way, they're still the minority. God wants us to recognize that those who do make it may feel at times alone and abandoned, but they are not alone. They are not forsaken by God. He will be with them and He will deliver them. They trust in Him. Amen? Let's just take a moment of silence right now. And in that moment of silence, offer your hearts to God and ask for a strong commitment that that secret place between you and Him would be sure. Father in heaven, we thank you that you're a God who has so many things to do in this world or this universe, yet you still desire to be with us personally. Thank you, Lord, you love us, not where we're supposed to be, but where we're at right now. And you invite us into the presence of God. Lord, we pray that this secret place of the Most High would become more and more important to us. That our personal walk with you would grow to something even more beautiful, that even as this world is shaken and falls apart before our very eyes, even with which we have trusted, Lord, doesn't work anymore. Thank you that that secret place will be there as a refuge for us. Make it sure, Lord, in each person's life. In Jesus' holy name we pray. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.